Welcome to Resilience Rock Sales, your front row seat to rocking your sales game. I'm your host, Stacey Kopas. Today's episode is brought to you by the Academy of Resilience Inner Circle. For more information, head to academyofresilience.com.au. Now on with the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Resilience Rock Sales. Today, I'm incredibly grateful to be joined by Neil Tricarico. Neil, welcome to the show. Thank you, Stacey. And I, I too am incredibly grateful to be here. I love what you're doing. Thank you. And I must say, when I was reading your bio, I, I did have a little bit of a Wayne's World, We're Not Worthy kind of moment happening. Yeah, so there's, a, there's some super impressive stuff that you've experienced, achieved, taken on over the course of your career, um, particularly in sales. Um, but rather than read it out, um, I'd love to hear from you. If you could just give us a little bit of the, the Neil story and, um, and, and share perhaps a few of those highlights for us. Sure. I mean, I'm, I'm always reluctant to, to speak about myself or about uh, my track record or the people that I've been fortunate to work with. Um, and I'm often reminded by my wife and colleagues and friends and others, you, you've got to share this story. It's, it's pretty impressive. And I just feel fortunate the way it worked out without going on too much. I came into sales very reluctantly. I I came up in law. I thought I wanted to be an attorney. My my dad was an attorney and that was really interesting to me. Worked as a paralegal a couple of years, went to law school. But what I found was I was interested in representing the clients and making the arguments and where my my colleagues and classmates were and my dad were interested in the analysis of the law. And so how I got into sales and why it was reluctantly was you know, this was late 90s um early 2000s. And I didn't know what to do. I had, since I was a child, had my mind set on being an attorney. And um, I went out to friends and family that were close to me. And to a person, you know, they shared with me, oh, you got to get into sales, you'd be great at sales. And I was like, Oh, I mean, I was I was working as a as a, uh, a bartender and a, a server. And, and it, it kind of made sense. I could see where they were coming from. But this was the time of Glen Gary, Glen Ross, right? Coffees for closers, hard closing. And I just thought, you know, gosh, um, that wasn't me. I mean, I, I could see why they were think I would be good at sales because I love connecting with people. But lo and behold, I didn't know what else to do. So I got into sales. And um, I moved to to San Francisco to Silicon Valley, and I was, you know, fortunate enough to get a great job selling software during the internet boom. And uh, I had I had a gift, I had a talent, and um, I went for it. And I ended up being the top salesperson uh, in that role, and, and in fact, in any sales role I've had, I've been the top person. But I I was reluctant. There was some incongruence. And even though as a top person, you know, we were ringing gongs and celebrating closes and I would go home with a lot of money and I just, I felt gross. I would have to take a shower, um, like really shower it off. And um, also, you know, looking at your story and understanding, I also, during that time was a bottom for me. I was making so much money that and I was so uncomfortable with what I was doing that I I really began to to abuse drinking and 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 drugs and and alcohol. In fact, I would have this I had this great apartment overlooking the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco, and most weekends I would just stay in and do drugs. I mean, when I left Monday morning, I would realize like, oh my gosh, I hadn't left all weekend and just rinse and repeat. And um, it was so difficult that I considered getting out of the um, profession. And, and my wife and I, we got married. We had planned to move out down here to San Diego. And I said, gosh, this is a great time to get out of sales. And so I met this great woman. And I don't know if I'm going on and on here too much because you probably want me to get to, to some of the the well-known names, but this this is how no, I got this here. Is, this is great. This is great. Okay. I'm, I'm loving, okay, I'm loving this backstory. Okay, cool. So I had an opportunity. We we were going to quit our jobs. Um, we had saved a bunch of money. We we're going to you know go travel Europe and then come down here to San Diego. But I was like, gosh, I just I really don't want to do 
sales. It's incongruent. And I, I met this woman. Um, I, I've got to call her by name. Joanne Martin Braun changed my life. She, she is a psychologist, but her focus is on career. And so she, she had this, this, uh, this approach where it was, you know, I would, I would speak to her and it was like therapy, but then I would take these different assessments and then we would figure out what career I would go into and how to go about doing that. So I took all these assessments and, and all these things, and it turns out I'd be really great at leadership and sales, Yeah. right? So I'm like, now what? And so through this work we did together, it was so powerful. We set intentions for the type of environment that I wanted to work in, um, that I wanted to move from being an individual contributor, a sales rep to a sales leader. So we had this idea in mind of... Um, being, you know, a, a player coach. And then what, what type of product or service did I want to sell? What was the environment like? What was the culture like? And over a period of like six weeks, we got really, really clear on this, created this one pager. And I didn't know about intention setting or meditating back then, but I would sleep with this pager under my pillow, this one page under my pillow, wake up and visualize it in the morning, go to bed and visualize it. So by the time we got down to San Diego after this great European trip, you know, we moved in with my in-laws because we wanted to see where I landed a job. Then we'd buy a house. And um, so I made a commitment to myself. I was going to apply for every sales manager job in San Diego that came up on Craigslist. So this one day, um, I, I applied for this job at the Chopra Center. And I didn't know who Deepak Chopra was. I looked at uh, the website. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is super woo-woo. This, this is weird. And I met with my wife and she's like, no, no, like, do you know who Deepak Chopra is? Like, this is amazing. This could be great for you. And then my mother-in-law was like, oh my gosh, she like jumped in the air, Deepak Chopra. She walked over to a bookshelf, all these books. And so I had to, um, I had to keep my commitment to myself that I was going to take all the interviews because the idea was to practice and get a feel. And, and long story short, Deepak in the business was going through a rough time at that time, and uh, he had run out of investment. Someone else was brought in to be CEO, and I interviewed with them and, and trying to make a really long story short, it was the perfect opportunity because Deepak obviously was still Deepak and was the face of the organization, but the investors had brought in someone else to, to lead it and run it. And this, this gentleman, David Greenspan, he was, a, or he calls himself a recovering stockbroker, and he was volunteering to turn this thing around. He and I hit it off, and I had the opportunity to, to take over the team and to get my first manager job and lead. But the, the, the important piece was when I met with Deepak, you know, he was kind of looking at me funny, and he's like, oh, you know, I, sales and marketing, and he put his fingers like this, and I was like, hey, I, I get it, you know what? And I said, marketing is not my superpower, but I look at marketing as education. And I said, you have my commitment here in this environment. We are going to not even utter the word sales. In place, we're going to use the word service. And he got a little bit of a smile and he's like, tell me more. And so long story short, we made a commitment to each other. I, 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 got, I got the job. I got the opportunity. But the, the trade-off was with that I had to learn meditation. I had to learn yoga about this nutrition practice i had to to you know eat our own cooking if you will and so you know even all these years later you know i joke with him i don't know who got more out of it i meditate twice a day every day um we had a tremendous success story there we took it from less than a million dollars to 2.6 then 5.2 that's when i met tony robbins i'll, I'll pause here for a second brought in some ad event sales through a mentor that Tony introduced me to. Ultimately, by the time I left, we were doing $12 million, but was very clear to me, the breakthrough for me was that sales was a service that I could live and be proud of and, and own and lean into a sales career of, of full joy and integrity and congruence with who I really was. And it was that experience that set the trajectory of my career, but it also were the early seeds of my mission. So my, my personal mission, Stacey, is to demystify sales as something other, something that, that we train to do, some tools or techniques that we can use to manipulate people or, 
overcome their objections or close them. My mission is to say, hey, that's that's a bunch of BS. Let go of all that. There's nothing to train, learn, or do. It's actually peeling all of that off. Take the jacket off. And what are the attributes that exist between us that enable us to connect with other human beings, right? I mean, we're 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 on the opposite ends of the globe, totally different time zones, night and day. We're we're connecting. Why why wouldn't it be true that those those same seeds, that same fiber of connection should be applied to sales. You know, the only challenge is we've got to do it a lot faster. So um, that's, that's at least how I was wound up in that, in that, that show percenter world and, and really where the early seeds of my transformation were planted. My gosh, like I can't even begin to imagine what that contrast would have been like from yeah. As you said, that hardcore closer, ring the bell type, the peak of tech in Silicon Valley to then going and working with Deepak, who is just like the most, it's it's like just so chill and so calm. So chill. Like that must've been, but I'm, I'm, I'm imagining that that was a lot, was that a lot of the things that you had on that one pager that you were visualizing? It it, it was, it's like all of them. I mean, it was, it was insane, like working um, at an organization that had profound, massive impact on individuals in the world, um, that I worked for a leader that got who I was and understood that I, I wanted to do it in a non-traditional way, someone that I could learn and grow and mentor under, and that I'd have an opportunity to, to build my own team. I mean, it was the the power of intention in this work that I had done with this woman to to lay it all out. I mean, I, I checked every box. Uh, maybe the the only box that initially wasn't checked was the income, um, but because I was unproven. But the the way it turned out was we we bet on each other, and it was a high upside. So then that 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 box ended up getting checked multiple times. But the polarity was insane. For my very first interview for a sales job, where I was told to sell the interviewer, the stapler to, you know, being at the Chopra center where I didn't know about meditation or Panchakarma or Ayurveda, this, this great woman who my first few calls I would do on the uh, speaker phone because I didn't understand the terminology and she would be writing down stuff like, you know, speaking in my ear and the CFO was like, Hey, we, you know, we need to like four more enrollments to hit payroll. And it was just so, so juicy and rich to be a part of a, a mission. And, we didn't know whether or not it would work, you know, compared to everything that was going on in Silicon Valley, not, not the, you know, it, it, yeah, the, the polarity was insane. It was, it was crazy. Yeah. And I just, I just said the learning curve would have been incredible, as you said, with the, the change, complete change of industry and all of those type of things, but also being that that was your first leadership role in sales. So what was the approach that you took then um, to then become that leader in that organization, having not done that before? A great question. And, and there's, there's really two parts to the question. You know, what was interesting was in many ways doing the sales, because I started as a, as a player coach. So I was selling and managing, which, which will help me transition to your question. But what was powerful was when I was in Silicon Valley, Everything that my managers wanted me to do was to follow the script, to pitch and present and close, pitch and present and close. And it was, I, I, I could do it, but that's what made me feel gross. And when they weren't listening or paying attention, I would instead ask my prospects questions, get to know them, be super curious. And I would enroll as much, if not more, from this approach. So my benefit to starting at the Chopra Center was since I didn't know anything and I didn't really understand the programs, it forced me to be curious. So I, 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 it, was, it was like coming home. It's like this. We were pitching and catching. I was asking questions. Well, what, what are you looking for? Why, why are we even on the phone today? Why are you considering the Chopra Center? Where, where are you? Where do you want to be? I mean, just learning as much as I could about them, you know, and then I'm taking notes and I'm kind of like looking over here because this was pre-Zoom, 
you know, which program is what I wrote down, which, which program, you know? So, so then I would, then I would say, and I I'd just write down which program and why. And this, this, this woman, she was so great. She would, she would answer it for me. So that the selling part was much easier because it wasn't like, Hey, here's the script. You know, you need to just ask like, Oh, I'm curious, like, what's that? Well, we didn't have zoom back then, but like, you know, that surface level rapport stuff and get into qualifying questions and pitching, there was none of that. So I could really be myself. And then to really answer your question, how, what was it like getting into the, the management position? I had no experience. My mentor and leader, you know, David Greenspan, um, he just gave me, he's like, you, you know what to do here and everything. So my, my belief was that the best thing that I could do was carry the bag was to to be a sales rep to demonstrate how to go about doing it and then I would I had a recorder and I would listen to the calls and I would break the tape down myself so that I could put together a framework that we could follow so instead of like constantly like motivating people I could give them something to that we would all follow that was consistent and then I could coach them on you know where where their strengths and weaknesses were during those calls. So my first thing was to to demonstrate what high performance results looked like. So I wasn't coming in telling them here's 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 what to do, here's what I want you to do. I didn't want to lead from a authority, but I wanted to demonstrate what was possible and then then quite frankly all I did was sit next to each rep and I would coach them. And this was before any of the studies that I became aware of that talked about, you know, the best sales leadership is 80% coaching, 20% other stuff. So, um, yeah. And so I, I think people respected me because I, I carried the bag. I did the work and that, that I was committed to their growth and, and coaching them as opposed to, you know, um, accountability over tasks just because I told them to. Yeah, so getting alongside them instead of sort of just cracking the whip, which it yeah. sounds was the previous experience that you that yeah through all of the experiences, and that's exactly it to to serve them. I mean, my my belief, you know, you hear about authority leaders, servant leaders, but like if we're to serve ultimately our clients and their transformation, you know my direct reports need to serve these clients and I need to serve them. So it wasn't about any authority, but what did they need? How could I support them in better connecting with their prospects and clients so that we can enroll and transform more people? Yeah, that, that, that's awesome. I just said that, that being, being, well, it sort of comes, comes back to, it's always focusing on service, isn't it? So yeah, you just got that one word, which is so interesting because service is actually my word of the year, my theme of the year. Um, nice. A huge part of sort of putting the podcast together as well is to be able to be of service in a greater way um, and then being able to introduce amazing people like yourself who can then further that um, that that sort of mission and cause around being of service. So um, I really love that you you mentioned that. And and so from, from your experience of then moving into sales leadership and then mentoring and coaching um, yes. other, other sales people. What were your observations of, of what was what was the role that resilience played in people's sales success? Yeah, uh, great question. So there at the Chopra Center, it it was interesting because um, I had two types of sales professionals. So I, I had the types of sales professionals who came in from the Chopra Center word. And when I say woo-woo, I mean this in the most loving way. I mean, they they drank the Kool-Aid. They were all about the mission and they were, um, gosh, they just they just loved it. I mean, they, they could talk for hours about it, whether or not you bought. And if you came to an event, they just wanted to know how it went. And there was no focus on getting them into the next event. And then that that's what I inherited. And then my hypothesis was that there were other professionals out there who came up in sales like me who could sell, but whose lives would be trained, um, changed by the opportunity to be personally transformed. So it was the ultimate experience, experiment, if you will. And what I could share with you in both 
sort of test groups was for the the woo-woo folks that I inherited. Um, you know, sadly, some of them made up their mind from the beginning. Like, I don't, I'm not going to do this. This isn't sales. It's incongruent for me. Like, I can't believe Deepak's doing this. And that was, that was unfortunate, but they were better served to go into to something else. But for the folks that wanted to see it through, where resilience played for them was, and where, where I had to earn their trust and respect was that we could, if we believed in our core, we wanted to serve these people. There were certain there were certain things along the way, and I use the analogy of a GPS, right? I mean, when we when we want to get somewhere, whether we know how to get there or not, like the GPS requires that we know the address, but it actually calculates your directions backwards. It doesn't start from where you are to that address. It starts from the address backwards, and it creates these milestones. And what happens is if we get into traffic or accidents or roadblocks, it doesn't stress out. It just says, I just got to figure out an alternate route to get to this milestone. So when I get to the next one, I could keep going. So that's what I said to them. I said, listen, the professional aspect of it, the sales aspect of it, if you will, is going to be, there are going to be these milestones, but you have my commitment within them is you can bring your genius, your talent, your connection to get to those milestones. But I need a commitment from you that you're going to drive to those milestones each day because ultimately if I can demonstrate to you how getting to those milestones and getting to each address serves them, because we really actually need them to come. If you talk to them and they don't choose to come, we're not serving them. And if they come and they don't choose to go to the next event, we're not serving them. So the resilience for them was that they, you know, was like they had to step out of their comfort zone. That was just going to be, this was just going to be pure conversation and connection to hey, there's things that I've got to do every day, every call that we're going to track and measure. But when I do, we'll get their outcome. And so for, for most of them, that was challenging because it, it felt too, um, too structured, right? And so the resilience for them over the weeks and months, and then the, you know they ended up doing extremely well, was just sticking to that first doing it out of trust and belief in me then starting to see some results that said hey the the confluence of me and this process has created more abundance for everybody i'm enrolling more people the business is doing better we're not month to month anymore i'm putting a lot of money in my pocket right and we didn't talk about money we talked about abundance and now they were starting to do the things that they wanted in life so I don't know. It's a it's a roundabout or longer answer to the resilience. That's how it was for them. I just love that you you explained it, and also too, I, I really like the the digging deeper into the GPS analogy too, because you know, I, I often talk about the GPS in in destination and it just gives you the step, you know. But I love yeah. that you said about it it reverse basically reversing the process, and as it you does. said, it's like it's just knowing what all those milestones are, and then. It's that the resilience piece to not go, oh my gosh, there's a, there's an accident. There's this. And okay, I'm just going to give up or I'm going to get frustrated or I'm going to get stressed or angry and lose my way. Um, yes. It's always just that resilience is that thing, isn't it? That helps you to go, okay, need to do an alternative, alternate route, a detour um, to then get back to that next milestone. So um, I really love that you, you shared that. And even just some of the, the languaging piece was really interesting because language is a resilience rock in, in my world because, you know, the way we describe an experience is how we experience it. And so even just that reframe of money to abundance and even the one you talked about earlier, just reframing sales to service. Yes. And some of these things, like they sound so simple, but I love that you you've been able to demonstrate over the course of your experience the impact of such those tiny little tweaks can make they're they're so beautiful and I'm glad that you 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 latched onto the GPS because it, it's something that resonated with them and it's resonated with all those that I've had an opportunity to impact you know over my career I mean not not everybody but it it's it's powerful because much in the same way we use GPS to get there more efficiently, right? So when we use the GPS, we're going to get there faster. 
meaning we get more of our most precious precious resource, which is time. And we're going to save money because if we can get there in the most efficient way, we're going to use less gas. And so that was the breakthrough initially for me with them was like, hey, I, I know you want to serve these people, but being on a call for two hours, just being a counselor isn't. So when, when, but, but I didn't want to tell them, I wanted to demonstrate and then provide them the GPS so that, that when they had the experience, like, oh my gosh, I uncovered more than I did in a two hour conversation, but I held them accountable. I hit these milestones that resulted in an enrollment. Now I have that hour back to do the same thing with someone else. So um, it's the GPS. I'm glad that resonated with you. I think it's, um, and it's, it's true. I mean, that's literally how the GPS works. If it were to calculate your directions forward, when you get to an accident or something, you'd be stuck. I don't know. Should I go left? Should I go right? What should I do? But you just got to get to that next point. That, that's awesome. And, and I love that, um, as you said, it's, it's helping them to see that by getting that extra time back, again, like it just scales the opportunity to be of service. Yes. Yes. Which is, which is awesome. So in your time there with, with the Chopra Center, so you said you sort of started out, that was sub 1 million. When you left, they were hitting like 12. Yeah. Um, like that must have been just such a, an incredible experience to look back, at, look back over at, at your time when it was time to make that next move. And, yeah. and I can imagine also too, as you said, you, you, you said that, you know, you're not quite sure who got the most out of it because I yeah. can imagine going from, as you was describing your lifestyle when you were, you know, when you're in the Bay and yeah. then going and having that trip and coming back and working there. So I can imagine your lifestyle changed considerably in that time. It did. It did for me personally. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it did. I mean, it was, it was tremendous because now, now I'm in this world. I mean, my wife, got it. Like when I first met her, she was doing yoga. I only went to yoga to, to get her attention. Um, but, but she, she was pleased because this was the lifestyle she wanted to be in. So imagine hundreds of people, you know, thousands of people at these events all over the United States and sometimes in the world, but then every week, more specifically people coming with some like really serious health issues and concerns and coming to the center and getting treatments and things like that. And, you know, you, you, you become who you hang out with. So, I mean, we, if you can believe it, like meditation was easy to pick up there because they encouraged you to start your day in the meditation room and end your day at the meditation room. So you could transition and be present for home. So I was introduced to some really incredible people and it, it transformed my life. Um, later when I introduced the idea of us, you know, selling from the stage, if you will, so we can enroll more people, you know, Deepak initially was against it, but he wasn't going to do it. He's like, I'm not Tony Robbins. I'm not going to do those things from the stage, but you can do it. But there was going to be a challenge because like, who was I? I couldn't just come on mm -hmm. stage and pitch stuff. And um, so he's like, Hey, you got to get certified now to teach meditation so that you can be a part of the weekend and add real value and then there'll be more congruence around this. So yeah, for my personal life, I mean, it, you know, just the people I was exposed to, um, you know, traveling, but then in, in the community and then even my connection with my wife, because this was something she, you know, practiced on her own. Um, it was, it was pretty profound. That's incredible. And just so, uh, yeah, the byproducts, you just don't know when you go into it is, is amazing. Mm -hmm. So where do you go from there? Like those, those results were incredible professionally and personally. Like where did, where did you go from there? Well, I'll share a story with you, Stacey. I didn't want to go anywhere. All right. I mean, <laughs> I, I want to be very, very clear about that. I didn't want to go anywhere at the peak of it. I remember we were in, um, I think it was, it was Kripalu or was in, um, in Philadelphia, but we were at a retreat center. We were doing an event. Most of the times when we do the event, we're staying at a resort or a hotel. So you, you would interact with colleagues, just a few of them. But at this retreat center, we all kind of stayed in the same place. And it was a special night because Deepak was hanging out with us and we were all just sitting around. And I remember just meeting with him and looking at him in the eye and saying, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. I've, I've found my forever job. I've found my home, my role here. Like, this is amazing. 
And he, he looked at me and I, I can't do his accent, so I'm not going to do it. He looked me, me straight in the eye and he said, Neil, he's like, no, he said, people come to the Chopra Center. There's something that they need for themselves from the Chopra Center. And there's something that the Chopra Center needs from you, but there's always an arc. This, this is not your be all end all. There will be a time and it will be clear to you when that is and and to us and and this will be a chapter in your journey and and stacy i was just crushed i couldn't believe it i'm like no like what what could be better than this you know and um you know i i sort of took my tail between my legs and just thought about it and i was just like oh man i hope he's wrong um but but um the, the way it worked was you know, I, I put systems and structures in place, a sales manager. I mean, it, quite frankly, at a certain point, things were really humming and, and, and running. You know, I mean, I, you know, I wasn't a player coach anymore. I wasn't even the sales manager. I was, you know, the, the, the highest of levels and put systems in place. Things were running and happening. And, uh, you know, the way, the way it went down was, um, you know, because of Deepak and Tony Robbins' friendship, um, I had an opportunity to, uh, you know, meet some people over at Tony Robbins. I needed some help recruiting. It's very hard to find sales professionals to 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 go into that environment, and you know, so that that was a, a struggle for me. So I was introduced to to Tony's, you know, VP of recruiting, and then I was introduced to his vice president of sales, who became my mentor, and uh, got to go to unleash the power within. And, and quite frankly, as much as um, you know, Deepak changed my world and everything. When I went to unleash the power within, I was like, oh my gosh, this, this is my home. I mean, I'm a highly energetic guy, loud music. I'm like, this is this, wow, this is amazing. But, but so I, I, I was mentored by this VP of sales, but what happened was in the, the, the summer of uh, 08, you know, when the economy was really hitting the skids or, or certainly here in the United States, um, you know, the, the bubble burst, the, the housing crisis, all this thing. At that time, um, all, all Tony Robbins' offerings were personal growth. So he didn't have any business offerings. I mean, he, he you know, was a consultant and coach to presidents and captains of industry, but there were no business programs. So that summer, he had in mind to do an event. Um, and, I, and I have the binder from it here. It's called the Ultimate Business Mastery Summit. And he had partnered with a, a gentleman by the name of Chet Holmes. Are you familiar with Chet Holmes? Um, yeah. Yeah. The author of the ultimate sales machine. Sales machine. Yep. Yeah. Uh, the ultimate sales machine. My first is Og Mandino's the greatest salesman in the world. Uh, I have this. I have this. Invite, if you will, my, my sale. So Tony and Chet got together. They were going to do this event to help entrepreneurs and business owners who were choking during this crisis to turn their businesses around. It was supposed to be a one-time thing. And my mentor, um, Gene McNaughton, the vice president of sales, he was in charge of building a team um, that, you know, for the summer was going to sell this event. And so I was loaned out uh, on that team and it was awesome. I mean, I, so it was Gene, Chet, Holmes. I mean, we, we had meetings and stuff with Tony, but Chet was responsible for the sales. And I mean, that summer they did radio ads and we were doing calls to enroll people. And every night um, at five o'clock, Chet, this is where I learned the concept of hot seats. Chet would literally, we would all call in, he would press a button and a call recording would come up and he would break down the tape. And it, it blew my mind because I used to record my own calls to break down my own tape. And it was awesome, but it was hard being on his hot seat. And in, in fact, I was struggling. There were six of us. I was middle of the pack for a while because he had a, I already had a script and everything. And I was, as I explained earlier, I was really resistant to scripts. So I was doing like so-so. And, and finally on one of the calls, he was like, why are you so resistant to the script? And I said, I've always been a resistant to a script. Um, I, I don't like it scripted out. I, you know, I mean, I like some concepts and things like that, but that's just not how I do it. And I've always been number one. And I was, you know, I was a little bit cocky and arrogant. He's like, well, I mean, you're not 
number one now? Like what would need to be true for you to try the script even tomorrow? And I said, well, I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I just rather would connect with people. And he said, well, help me understand what about this script isn't connected. Right. And, and we went through it and he really challenged me and humbled me. And the next day I was like, all right, this is, this is a lot wordier and longer than I would like, but my resistance to the idea of a script kept me from realizing it was just a more detailed GPS with, with many more milestones to get to an outcome in an hour instead of multiple calls. And I'm like, yeah, what the heck? I'll, I'll do it tomorrow. And I think, you know, we had six of these calls a day. I think I closed four of them. I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm in because now I wasn't following up with people. It got to, it got to the result even faster. So long story short, I ended up being the number one on that team. And, um, by, by a lot, I think I, I, I outsold number two by like 30 enrollments. And so what happened was the event was amazing. It was extraordinary and super impactful that Tony and Chet partnered. They said, hey, we, we shouldn't just do this one time. And that's when the business mastery offering with Tony Robbins was born. And because I had performed so well and, and got along so well, I was offered um, the leadership role to lead the team that sold that. And so I reported directly to, to Chet Holmes all the way up until he passed away. And we had meetings with Tony Robbins. And then it was like, oh, of course, this, this is what Deepak is talking about. So that conversation with him to, um, you know, to now transition into this new chapter was designed. I mean, it was, it was, it was done. It was, I mean, he, he knew when I, when I spoke to him and we had a great parting of the ways and and it was more or less like this is what I was talking about back then <laughs> oh my gosh but as you said like it would have been so disappointing to hear that at the time but again oh, you right. just don't know you just don't know what's ahead do you and yeah no it's just the power of the relationships there though isn't it because it from from the sounds of that all of that transpired because of those relationships Yes. that were in place. And so yes. you know, you've mentioned connecting so much in this and obviously re relationships are connecting and connecting in curiosity and all of those things. And so, you know, from there, and obviously business mastery is still around today. It's such a, an iconic part of the, the Tony Robbins um, events that, that are there. So from there, what did you find that you learned the most that has sort of led you to where you are now today? You're running your own show. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, you know, I was super fortunate. I had two separate stints with Tony Robbins. So I worked there from 08 to 012 in that leadership role. Um, you know, sadly, Chet Holmes passed away around 2011 from cancer. And I agreed to stay on for a year, went out on my own a bit, then um, came back in, in 2016 and rejoined Tony back on his executive leadership team. And Tony's just amazing. I mean, we, we, you know, we spoke about Deepak Chopra a bit. Um, what I can share with you about Tony is what you see is what you get. I mean, the 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 man is the same in front of the curtain as he is behind the curtain. Like so generous with his time. He would have meetings at his house and things like that. And I think um, the most important thing that that I personally learned from Tony. It may not be the most profound, but it it is still to me personally, the most profound to this day is the power of anticipation. You know, that, that, that d doing everything that you can to, to see the road ahead. So whether that means to, to understand and, and to be as connected as you can to your sales performers, to try and understand their why, not that they're in this role to make a lot of money or to, to be a Tony Robbins, but What's their ultimate driving force and why? And to the best that you can to, to anticipation or to anticipate challenges in the road ahead. I don't, I, I'm not a believer in, I, I'm a believer in mastery, but I'm, I'm not a believer in there's the there that you arrive somewhere and there's a there. Anticipation is still the biggest thing that, that sits with me today because um, it's very difficult to anticipate things that come up, especially those that are out of your control, but having a focus and an awareness on that 
um, was powerful. And then for him, um, that, that was one concept. And then for me personally, because, you know, Tony's the ultimate coach. So, you know, he wants to get to know you, wants to know what's going on in, in good times and in bad, but the, 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 the power of influence to help others get to where they want to be. So not influence in a manipulative kind of way, but in a connective way. Um, you know, whenever I had struggles with with colleagues, because that was an interesting environment. I mean, it was different than Tony or Deepak Chopra was like kumbaya. Everyone sort of wanted to, you know, connect and and love and and such. Tony Robbins was highly competitive, and you know, um, I don't have anything negative to say about it, but there was there was a lot of people and agendas, and and so a lot of times when when I struggled, you know want to complain or point out something that someone had done wrong or um, took credit for of mine or whatever, we, we would never go there. It was, it was, how can I help you? Questions would you need to ask to understand what this person is potentially really suffering from that would cause them to behave in that way that if you understood with them might unlock a new level of relationship. So I would say it's anticipation and and influence, but not influence in the in the way of selling, but understanding and connecting. And they would be incredible skills for you to have taken forward into the teams that you then led after that, but also into your own your own business now and how you are you know helping other sales leaders and and entrepreneurs to build their sales. So yes, tell me a little bit more about what you're doing now and and. Or I guess how you've been able to bring that you know wealth of experience in to then be able to then help other companies to you know to 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 do and learn some of the things that you learned in you know in some of those incredible environments. Yeah, I, I would love to share with you about that. So one of the things that I got really interested in during my time with um, Chet Holmes and Tony was the science behind performance. So there was a lot of focus on. The DISC personality profile. Are you familiar with DISC? Yeah, I am. Yeah. I mean, in sales, it was such a big thing. Like, you know, everyone praised me because I was a 99D and a 99I and like a 10C. And then I was like a 60S. So that was some leadership stuff. But it always confused me. Like, like dominance, domineering, decisiveness. Like, oh, you know, so if you look at my thing right now, it's like, yeah, I'm still a 99, but like my, my adaptive is like the 60 or 70s. And I was confused because it was always like the de facto science that we were going to use for bringing people on. But, but inevitably when they left, no one pointed to, well, how are we associating that science to their performance or lack of performance? And so I got really interested in the confluence of science and sales. And in my time in between, I went uh, down to South Carolina. I studied at Intermetrics and I understood that you know, the, the behavior, the DISC personality profile is behavioral. But what I was curious to understand is what, what attributes exist inside each of us as human beings that enable us to connect with one another better. And so I did the, this study with them. And from this, my sales framework, which went through a series of iterations, but it was always the same seven steps, but ultimately became the trust method for sales. Trust is the acronym that stands for transforming results by understanding and solving problems together. And so I met with them and I, I went through this philosophy and I said, I'd like to understand how can we understand what attributes exist within someone at each of these steps? And so we spent about a week together. And from that, my own assessment called the sales strengths identifier was born. And I was really excited about this because now we had some instrument, some science that would say to us three things. The first was what. It would answer what, why, and how. What was what attributes exist within someone that enable them to connect better and leverage the trust method. There were 54 different sub-attributes. Then why, why would we use them, right? So our values and motivators index, because we all know 
the performers that with all the potential in the world who look great on paper, they have everything to excel in a sport or whatever. But why? Why would one person decide to maximize their potential versus not? Or, or worse yet, maybe someone who didn't have it on paper, why, why would they um, outperform someone who did? So you have your what, your values and motivators, what drove you, and then behavior, disc. How are you behaving? And so um, that was the 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 time that I spent in between. And I started working with clients on my own to really perfect this and create the, the algorithm for recruiting against that, training against that. So now we could take somebody's science, understand their strengths and weaknesses. There's no perfect SSI. We could train specifically on those gaps. So again, those areas, those milestones along the GPS where we knew their science said they were weak, we wouldn't focus on their strengths, they were nailing that, you know, much like um, Chet used to say in the interview, we got to reject them. Well, now we understood science wise and why we should do that. And so when I came back to Tony Robbins, that became, he allowed me to install that across all the teams that became how we recruited. And so ultimately same kind of thing with, with Tony, um, you know, I was able to, to keep and do a, a few clients myself, but, but in Tony's world, you gotta, you gotta focus on the business. And so same sort of in 2020, um, it was it was a good time to to go out on my own and I and to to further my mission that I described to you earlier, I I, I couldn't be focused at, at one place. So now now I've gone out and I'm really helping in a couple areas. Um, you know, number one, you know, my sweet spot are are businesses. I want to call it um, you know, 10 to 50 million that have at least three sales reps, but if they had five, 10, that would be awesome. So I can come in and audit these the seven key areas of a high performing sales organization. So I'll secret shop, I'll interview people, I'll have them take the sales strengths identifier, grade calls and you know make recommendations. And the reason that's the sweet spot is that seems to be when the businesses are going through life cycles, right? And you know each stage of a business is, has a life cycle, like, much like human development. But the moment of inflection that I've been able to have the impact the most on is when somebody's built something to a certain extent, and now they've brought on a few people, but they don't have the systems and structures. They don't have that GPS. They don't know why they're succeeding, why they're not. Maybe the CEO feels beholden to prima donna sales reps. So we can come in, understand, much like I described to you with what I did at the Chopra Center, build out that framework, that GPS. If we need to, we could top grade some people, recruit against the science, train against it. And that's where I've had the most impact in my business working with clients. And then the reason it it doesn't work as well as like $100 million business and things like that, because they've made it through that moment of inflection. Somebody's come in, figured that piece out. My that's that's my business. That's that's what that drives me day in and day out. Because much like with the Chopra Center, now now I got what Deepak was saying. It's like, shame on me. Like I don't want to stay anywhere longer than I need to. Like let's get this figured out. Let's get the culture set. Let's get you know these eight key areas optimized, and then let me leave it with leadership or install leadership and go on to the next one, right? So that's that's awesome, but it's still challenging in terms of the larger mission. So I also coach um, individual sales performers, like sales professionals, sales leaders. Um, that's a that's a passion of mine working in leadership, because if you remember way back, however many minutes ago, I've been talking and babbling. Leadership was a, is a core strength for me. But, um, but then what I've always not tried, do do, is mentor young professionals. I, I was blessed with a lot of mentors who explained to me that they didn't want anything from me when I asked them, well, why, you know, why, why are you doing this? And they said, well, you'll have an opportunity to to pay it forward. So um I love working with, you know, young 20-some professionals that just I just have one rule. You can't, I can't want it for you more than you want it for yourself. But if you want it for yourself, um, you know, that's how. 
that's how I can help you. So that's sort of my business. My is 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 leading that through ultimate growth, working directly with clients, right? And even though Tony Robbins, you know, is 100 million and now 160, within that is, you know, 10 to $50 million business units. The other clients that I've worked with, they're in that sweet spot, but then the coaching is super fulfilling for me. I love that, that you found, you found your sweet spot where you could have the most impact. And as you said, it's, um, you know, being able to get people to that point and then move on to the next one. Um, mm -hmm. because, you know, if we're coming back to that cool thing about being of service, if you stay in the one place, then you're robbing these other people of the opportunity to have had your service in order to then further their mission. And then it's just that exponential ripples, isn't it? That you're able to do. It is the ripple um, effect. Yeah. I just, it sounds like such an exciting place to be. And so with that, you mentioned the word anticipation before. So what's, what, what's anticipation looking, looking like for you today? Well, you know, it's interesting what, what anticipation is looking like for me today, like today, today is, um, so my, my word for this year, if you will, is, is two things. My word is acceptance. My mantra is live every day. But for me, I've reached a phase in, in my life um, as, I'm, as I'm nearing a milestone birthday. I'm going to be 50 in August. I've realized that um, it's not about goals for me anymore. It's about, it's about purpose. So I was like, oh, I, I, I want to get out there or I want to have courses and trainings and and low ticket and high ticket and, and all these things. And and what I've realized is I, I don't want those things. I, I want to be able to impact organizations and individuals um, in the way that I that I have um, that that's had the most impact uh, and letting go of, of some of those those other approaches they're they're not wrong but i don't want to be like a high ticket space or it's not that i want to be an influencer I mean, one of the things that tony shared with me when i left in, in a testimonial is that um that i'm a thought leader in this space so i i take that very serious so i'm loving doing podcasts interviews um, you know, I'm working on a book, so this isn't really answering your question and it may not be a good answer. It's the anticipation that I've got to do is when I'm working with clients, but for me, it's not about anticipating goals and accomplishments anymore. It's being comfortable like this, this, this is what I was destined to be. So unlike with Deepak, like this is where I was destined to be. This is what I was destined to be. So, so keep doing it. And I've just settled into that, that acceptance where before it's like, oh, achieve, like, well, now I want to be this. I want to see if I can lead a business or, you know, have X number of followers. And, and just being quite frank with you, I got really wrapped up in that um, the past couple of years. And that took a lot of bandwidth away from working with organizations and working with, with clients. So um, for me personally, I'm settling more into um, acceptance than like the, the, the road ahead. Like this, this is my Dharma. This is my purpose in life. When I'm working with clients though, the, the whole piece is about anticipating how we're going to move into this next life cycle and break through this, this moment of inflection. It's such a nice contrast, isn't it? To, to have yes. places. And I, I really feel that for myself personally as well. It's like having a foot in two worlds, isn't it? It's this yes. element of acceptance and almost surrender in a way, but also yes. not completely losing track of some sense of direction with those milestones as well. And I do yes. find sometimes I'm just like, oh my gosh, they feel like they're so far apart, but really, isn't it? It's finding that way to be able to actually have that foot in both worlds. And I think in, when that, those things are aligned and you know, we're not going too far one or too far the other, Things just yeah. seem to really just actually come into, just come to us in a way that is almost kind of magical in a way. So it's, I, I really love so that you've magical. shared that. So that's, that's amazing. My gosh, I've had so much, so much fun with this conversation and um, yeah. I definitely feel like I could continue this. So we might, might need to come back for round two at some point. 
Um, it would be my been, honor. Yeah, such a pleasure. And there's one more one more aspect to the Resilience yeah. Rocks well before we go. Um, Resilience Great. Rocks having a little bit of a musical twist. Um, and as you would know, working with Tony for so many years, the the power of music yes. in order to change state and and do all those type of things. So music's a is a resilience rock for me. But I'd love to know um, for you, what's your go to song for you if you need to, you know, change state, get yourself grounded, get yourself fired up. What's what's your go to? Um, that's a great question. So you know, for me, a lot of my go to is physical movement. So I actually have like a rebounder back here that no one can see. I find more so than than music is getting my my physiology right. But um what I would say is um um oh, I'm blocking on it right now. Imagine Dragons, it's um oh it's one of their songs. But the song that's the resonating with me the most, I, I love music. I, I listen to music all the time. I love all kinds of music. I love to go to live shows, especially now post-COVID. I, I, I look out amongst the thousands of people there, and I'm like, yes, we're all together. Um, but there's this song, I think it's from the 70s, called Ooh La La. Um, and, it, and the lyrics are like, I wish, um, I wish I knew now, or I wish I knew what I knew now when I was younger. And, and it's, it's funny because it's, um, it, it, it's funny because it makes me laugh because I don't actually like believe that I don't, I don't wish I knew now. Uh, I wish I knew what I know now when I was younger, but, but I laugh at the freedom of not actually believing that. So that, that song brings me a lot of joy. Um, it's a, it's a go-to song for me to just to bring some humor into my life when, when things get, you know, really serious, which, which they do having a couple of teenagers and, and life and, and stuff like that. So not, not maybe not spot on the, the answer, but pretty much anything with some bass and stuff can get, get me going music. But um, that, that song, Ooh La La from the seventies is really resonating with me the last month or so. Amazing. Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to look that up and I'm going to add it to the resilience. I'm going to add it to the Resilience Rocks playlist on Spotify. There is one there yeah. to tune into. Um, oh, that would be great. Because it's it's just like, imagine like, it's like, that's such a, a farce, if you will. Like, we, and obvious, like, of course we do. But then we wouldn't know what we know now if we knew it then. So it makes me giggle. <laughs> I, I do love it. And it is good to laugh at those things. And because often people go, what, what would you tell your younger self? And it's one of those things. It's like. It's like back to the future, isn't it? It's, you know, every, yeah. if half a second in any of those previous, however many decades we've been around, um, and if any one of those half a seconds were different, then everything would be different now. So it's one of those things, isn't it? It's just knowing that everything is happened as it was because it needed to be for right now to be what it is. And so I'm, I'm with you. That's awesome. Yes. Yeah, so good. Well, thank you so much for for coming and jamming today, Neil. This has been um, an absolute welcome. delight. And so for our listeners, if if anyone would like to get in touch with you, get to know you more, reach out, have a conversation, where's the best place for people to connect with you? Oh, I mean, I'm so glad that you said it that way um, because I'm, I'm so pleased to share like this is my first podcast that that's what I'd like most. This is not, not my first podcast, but where I'm sharing it this way rather than Go to my website, take your free cell strengths identifier, download this or download that. Find me on LinkedIn. You know, I'm just Neil Tricarico. Hopefully it'll show in the show notes. And just as Stacy mentioned, hit me up for a conversation. If you're a sales pro wanting to learn how to, to be better, no strings attached. I'd love to connect with you about it. If you're a business and you feel like you might be in that moment of inflection, ping me on uh, LinkedIn, remind me that you came in from Stacy, and I'd love to spend some time and have a conversation with you. No strings attached, no downloads, no offers. I'd love to just help. Amazing. Thank you so much for all of your wisdom. Um, conversations is where it's at. Love having conversations. Oh, this, and then again, podcast, this is a great opportunity to have interesting conversations with interesting people. And again, I'm just really grateful for that today. So. Until next time on the next episode of Resilience Rock Sales, be your best. Thanks for joining us again this week on Resilience Rock Sales. 
Don't just listen though, take action. The best sales professionals are always learning. Head over to resiliencerocks.com now to go backstage and get the resources mentioned today to help rock your sales goals. (laughs) 